the unofficial lounge with Ashante, Craybon, and Monty. We're here to give you the insight into some of the biggest plays you remember involving the people wearing the stripes. We look at the grit it takes to become an official while exploring the history of officiating with the people who made it. It's more than black and white. On this show, we talk to 28-year veteran NFL official, Charles Stewart. Do you understand this without a doubt? Nobody does. You know, I had Marcus Allen. I had uh, all the quarterbacks. You know, Jerry Rice. But Deion Sanders had the ability to take away the number one receiver and the rest of the team to play zone. Chuck talked to us about what it takes to reach your goal. I come home after that ball game and sat down and just wrote down a little thing in a, in a piece of paper uh, what my goal was in officiating. And the ultimate goal was the Super Bowl. Uh, it took me a, quite a bit longer to get to some of the places that I wanted to get to, but I eventually got there. You know, with the help of others, I was able to make it. Finally, Chuck foreshadows what HBO's 2020 Hard Knock season captured, the moment in SoFi Stadium. No, the only thing that I would, Monte, you have one up on me. You have been in SoFi Stadium, and I haven't been there. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Unofficials Lounge. We're here. We're joined today by Chuck Stewart. Chuck was born and raised in Long Beach, went to Long Beach Poly, and then graduated from Dorsey. Spent some time at Long Beach City College and then transferred to Long Beach State, where he graduated. Chuck had a professional career of 38 years with the County of Los Angeles. But what we're here to talk about and other things, just his lifestyle, is his 28 years overall in the NFL, 18 on the field, and 10 in the replay booth. Chuck is known to a lot of us here in Southern California as the godfather, as he has helped many with their careers moving forward. And Chuck, we just want to thank you for being our guest today and look forward to the conversation. I'm glad to be with you, man. You forgot one name. He's also officially known as Uncle Chuck. Uncle Chuck, right. <laughs> That's his business. If he ain't cussing you out. But keep in mind, Chuck, this is a clean show. I got you. <laughs> so, Chuck, when we, when we get the, everybody to get to know you a little bit better, so you graduated from Dorsey and then you went to Long Beach City. Did you play any sports at Long Beach City College? Basketball. Basketball, okay. What, yeah, what, that was it. Was you a point guard? Uh, I guarded the bench most of the time. <laughs> so hold up. Let's go back, Chuck. It's, you, you, you transferred from Long Beach, uh, Long Beach Poly to Dorsey. Why was that? Well, my mom got ill and she had cancer, so we had to get closer to the City of Hope. And so that's the reason we moved to Los Angeles area. Okay. And then you, you quickly returned back to Long Beach after graduating high school? After graduating high school, I immediately came back to school. I missed it. That's where I was, my roots were. You know, I was born there, raised there. All of my friends were there. Uh, it was just natural for me to come back. So you played three sports, right? So what was the best sport in high school? What was your best sport that let, you know? Most likely basketball. It was good enough to get you to the bench. 
<laughs> I, you know, I was small, man. It, it, contrary to now, uh, I was about 5'11 and weighed about 130, 40 pounds in high school and in, and in junior college. Oh, good. So, you know, it, was, it wasn't conducive to playing football at all. Gotcha. And what did you do for the county, Chuck? I, was, I ended up being an administrator. I started off there as a typist clerk and then continued to get promoted. And I ended up being an administrator with the welfare department. Okay. And before we get too in-depth with your officiating career, what made you start in officiating? Actually, I was coaching Pop Warner. <laughs> and one of the officials... After the game that we had, he comes to me and says, hey, we can make some money uh, if you want to get into officiating. And I said, I, I don't know. Uh, and it was Russ Finley. And Russ, had a, he was very smart at that time. He got me as a black official, given the ATO as an Hispanic official, and we went from Long Beach all the way up to Cole, everywhere, because we could cover every game, any race there was. And uh, I got started doing that. And then the next year I went to high school and just kept on going from there. So Chuck, when you was a Pop Warner coach, did you have scripted plays? I didn't know none about scripted plays. We had about seven plays and I just ran them. You know, we had the speed <laughs> and things of that nature and uh, that was it. Uh, I had one ball player who actually ended up in the pros and that was Tony Hill. Oh, there you oh, go. Wow. Due to your, your talent, your, 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 your play calling? Hey, I'd like to take credit for it, but I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't feel bad, Chuck. Uh, Ashante just tried to give me a hard time because I, you know, I kind of started out the same way too, volunteer coaching, and then realized there was money in officiating, so I quickly transferred to officiating. Chuck, he had them kids out there running gases with scripted <laughs> plays. Hey, I did. I have running gases as well. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make them tough, right? That's it. So, Chuck probably had Chuck probably had him doing two a days. But Chuck, you, back when you played, it was different. It was it was just only one channel on TV. Uh, you were lucky to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> why Why was it so important that you had the three different uh, uh, races of officials to start That's out right. with? Why, why was that so important? Because we were able to go to the black neighborhood. We'd go to which was basically in Watts. Uh, in the southern, south central LA, we could go to Londale, which was the Hispanic, and we went to uh, Palos Verdes, which was the white. And you know, we That's they didn't think anything about it because you have one of everything on the ball game. So was Pop Warner different then? Did any did anybody say, "Let I'm gonna go to the trunk back back at that period"? <laughs> nah, that never occurred. Okay, thing was let the kids make sure they made the weight. That was all the biggest deal we had. Man. Got you, Chuck. You. You started out, you went high school, and then you started in junior college from there. Was your jump into, was that your first jump into officiating uh, college football? Was it junior college? Yes, it was. Uh, I went from junior college, and I was still doing the high school and junior college at the same time. And um, then, you know, the opportunity presented itself. I went to a tryout at, at uh, SC a couple of times for the pack. Uh, I never really got in. I never got in, and I went to a trial for what they call it the PC2A, which is the Pacific Coast Athletic Association at that time, which was the Long Beach State, Cal State, Fullerton, those schools. And uh, we were walking to the field, 
And the supervisor grabbed me by the arm and said, if you're not working today. I said, what? He said, no, the pack missed out on hiring you. You're hired. And it took off from there, man. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Okay. So Hold before on. we but, go ahead, Shanti. So JUCO wasn't, how, so was it 37 schools back when you started doing junior college ball? I have no idea. Okay. I or was it? There were. There probably was. Okay. You know, there were some that have been built since then, you know, but it, you know, it was the Metropolitan Conference, which they called it, which was the major conference, went from my area up to Bakersfield. All right. So you, so to get in a junior college ball, you just didn't have to just go to a meet and you have to try out also? No, not for junior college ball. Uh, okay. You got referred and the guy just hired you. Got you. And then the what, PCAA. Was got that you. the was that still in the days of writing letters to the supervisor to get hired? It was the only way you could make it, man. Okay. <laughs> you wrote a letter and you tried to get somebody else that was in a conference or in college ball that would write a letter for you as well because it, you know this is a good old boy network then and it, you know basically it's kind of like that not not nearly as bad, uh, but it's a, a different concept now. Gotcha. Goodness. Wow. So have, you always worked line of scrimmage, correct? Yes, I did some back judge in high school. Uh, when, you gotcha. know, didn't have a lot of a, when you had a five-man crew in the playoffs, you know, and, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was a chosen brother. So I would go and be the back judge. I did 10 straight CIF championship ball game. And, you know, wow. it was ridiculous. But like I said, I was a chosen brother. And, you know, I, I did back judge and basically in some line of scrimmage, but you know, I was the fifth officially you know, for the championship. Ten straight? Uh, ten straight. Yes. Wow. You didn't get a ring for that one. Chuck, when was the first time you experienced seven man football? Officiating seven man. Uh in the pack. In the pack? Okay. We had six in the uh PC two A. Okay. Okay. So no how do you back go judge? The- Excuse me? It was no back judge, right? This no, not two on the side. Okay. Yeah. So how did how did you go from the PC two A to the Big West? No, the, the PC two A became the Big West later on. Gotcha. Gotcha. I went through the uh, and it's a funny story. Went I had a phone call from a supervisor of PAC, and he wanted he told me he wanted to invite me to the PAC. So I told him, "Well, I have to get back to him." So I what? called my supervisor. <laughs> yeah. I called up my supervisor, PC2A, and told him, I says, hey, I got a phone call from Mr. Springer inviting me to the pack. You know, I don't think I'm going to go because, you know, I'm always told that whoever brought you in is who you stay with. And you brought me in. They didn't want me before. All of a sudden, they want me. He said, fool, I recommended you to them. There's a vast difference between within Cal State Long Beach and Cal State Fullerton, Anaheim Stadium, and SC and UCLA at the Coliseum. So I called the gentleman back. I told him, you know, I would accept it coming to that conference. However, I would only take a full schedule. And the reason I say that oh. is Howard Slavin went in the year before, transferred, and he only got a half a schedule. So the man told me, well, I'm going to put you on my son's crew. I had no idea who his son was, to be honest with you. And he put me in, and I had a, I got 11 games my first year. And uh, everything just took off from there, man. Wow. Making Hold the up. man's coming in, coming hey, in, man. making the I man's. That's impressive, Chuck. Hey, that was what happened back then, man. 
So, gotcha. so do you rec- recommend that uh, Ashanti and I make demands of getting full schedules checked now these days? <laughs> uh, that'd be Paris assassination if you did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Chuck, I didn't say that. That was Monty. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to be honest with you. I was more than happy where I was. Uh, the guy, he took a liking to me, and I did good. Uh, he taught me everything at that time that I knew. I was even able to pick up what games I wanted. You know, he asked me, where do you want to go? To uh, Baylor uh to Kansas? I said, hell, I want to go both of them. And that's what happened. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. And uh, my, that was, I got my first check at uh, for over $1,000 when I went to uh, Kansas State. And you may know mm. Batag. Some of you know Bataglia. He and I were like two little kids. We got to check. We're jumping up and out on the bed in the room. Well, we never received a thousand dollars. You know, <laughs> well, you got paid before the game. Yeah. Oh, but now, I, Chuck, you, did you did you just say you was on the game with Craig Battaglia? Yes, at uh, in uh, okay. Kansas State. I wow. think they played UNLV, if I'm not mistaken. I'm uh, you know the mixed crew, but that was an okay. interesting game because prior to the game, we were walking around the stadium. And there was another brother on the game. It was a big hit at that time. And uh, he said, you know, we're making history tonight. I said, what? He said, yeah, they ain't never had two blacks on any ball game not in this area at all. And I didn't pay any attention because I was, you know, off into my thing and trying to get prepared for the ball game. And I got to thinking about it. And hell, I never worked a black a, a ball game on the West Coast with another brother in college. You know, uh, everything was, you know, it was just a few of us in the, in the league at all. So, you know, I went on and uh, I was kind of, you know, I, I never met the guy. In, I mean, saw him ever after that. But, you know, I was glad he shared that with me because I had never even thought about it. I was out there, you know, saying, you know, hey, I got to do this. I got to do around pregame stuff. And uh, it helped me out a lot. Hey, Chuck, wow. how, how do you uh, feel? Has there been any progression in kind of uh, being able to work with uh, multiple uh, races and, and multiple Black officials at once. It's still somewhat challenging and disappointing uh, because, and I, I just shared this part with you that well, the most people they ever had in the pack when I was in there were nine blacks. When I got in the NFL, it was nine blacks. Uh, when I went back twenty-seven years later to be a supervisor in the pack. I stood in there and counted the blacks. There were nine blacks in at that time, two decades later. Uh, since then, we've added a few. And there was a coalition of us that went back when I was in the NFL, went back to the league office and talked to them and shared our problems with them in regards to hiring black officials. And they agreed with us after a long discussion that Every other hire from that point forward would be a black. And until we reached at least a third of 33 officials. And that held out to be true. And they now have 30 some odd in the NFL today. Uh, eight, nine years ago, they changed the wording in the contract from black to minority, which allowed the females, uh, the native Indian, Hispanics to you know, count as a minorities now. So we have, we're stuck at the 30-something mark, in, but hey, that's a hell of a long way from where when I got in there. Man. Awesome. Right. Wow. And Chuck, what, what year was that game in, in Kansas? Do you remember? 
83 or 84. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. So hold up. Was that your first time getting on a plane to go to a game? Or no. was that a Cessna or was that a jet? What type of plane? No, it, it, was a, it was a jet, but I didn't get on a plane to go to Fresno and to Stockton and a few places like that, man, in Utah. Uh, okay. No, tur- that no turbo props? Nah, no turbo props. Okay. <laughs> so, hold up. so hold up. So you get in. So how? Okay. So you get into the pack, right? The pack eight. Or was it the ten? You say the ten, pack right? 10. Pack ten. Pack ten. So in the pack ten, you only had nine brothers. That's all. Wow. At the peak, we never. There wasn't nine when I got in. There was about five, and then over the period of time, we ended up having nine. And, and what at that time when you got in, Chuck, what was it? Six crews total? Six, seven man crews, probably? Yes. Okay. okay. Got you. So you going from the PC2A to the pack, what was the difference? Because you said you loved the PC2A. So did you notice that jump? There was a major difference in the caliber of play. Uh, the pack was a better color ball. It was much better. And, I, you know, I had never been before 80,000 people in my life. You know, I was a like that at a couple of places in the uh, in the pack, uh, but you know, I don't think that the officiating was a hell of a lot better. Uh, there was no better training than what I had received because I, you know, man, he, you know, he kicked me on behind and got me on the right path. Got you. So you didn't have to go back to play on um, doing games in the park in the pack. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's that's funny. I actually got off the plane coming over doing a PC2A game and went directly to Lawndale and did a Pop Warner game. And, oh, uh, oh, wow. Oh, good. That, that is frowned upon now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, and, and, and in hindsight, I shouldn't have never done it because I was taking games away from somebody else. But, hey, that was the way we make some money, man. Right, right. And that was your starting your officiating career. That was your whole purpose of starting officiating was – the extra money. Exactly. That was the only okay. started to it. <laughs> right. right. So uh, at the time, your job allowed you to do all this, though, correct? The travel? Well, at the, yeah, at that time, you know, they didn't have, there was no problem with traveling. Uh, I got you. off, you know, Saturday evening, I mean, Friday evenings and go. I had no problem whatsoever. Uh, I did a few times, you know, a, a, after a while, I started taking off the whole Fridays and going because, you know, I was crazy trying to work, you know, that half a day. And go up there, you know, get there that Friday night. But after I realized, you know, hey, it was more important and I needed more to do this, to put more time in, you know, at that. Okay. So, in your cop, in your cop, did you even get, did you get bowl games like Rose Bowl? How was that set about? Well, hold on, hold on, Chuck, before you answer that question, let's, let's start out a, a little bit. So, by you growing up in Southern California, I think for every Southern California official uh, that grew up here, that gets into the pack, their first game in the Coliseum, you have to remember, right? Because you grew up probably when you were growing up, the Rams were playing there, the Raiders was playing there, USC Raiders and UCLA. There, oh, we're right. That's right. Yeah, you remember this, Chuck? Chuck the, Ra- the, my, the Raiders my bad, AFL. My the Raiders right, right, AFL. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, I mean, UCLA was playing there. USC was playing there. So, do you remember your first Pac-12 game in the Coliseum? Yes, I do. Uh, I was walking down that ramp. I don't think my feet touched the ground, the ground going through there. I mean, I was in all heaven, man. 
You know, uh, I was in awe. I walked around the stadium and looked up at, you know, and looked and saw all the seats and people that started filling up. And, uh, but you know what? As soon as the ball was kicked off, I didn't even notice the difference. It was just like any other game. Okay. But it was it was great to walk down that ramp the first time. Right. And that, that ramp still haven't changed at all these years. What's the it thing? is the exact thing. Just the same <laughs> on the wall. And, but other than that, it's the exact thing. Now they have the locker room, official locker room. It's still very small. Right. Oh, well, did you did you see any Mark Allen when you was in? Or was he gone already, too? Who was that? Marcus Allen, while he was at SC. No, I had him in the pros. Okay. Okay. So now when you were in the Pac-12, you guys were still able to work the Rose Bowl game, right? It was a split crew between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? That's exactly right. And uh, I got the Rose Bowl in 1992. Um, They only had maybe 12 bowls at that time. And everything was a split crew. Uh, I did, however, work the first two Aloha Bowls when I was in the PC2A. Gotcha. Uh, oh, you got but, a little trip to – that's Hawaii, right? Yes, I did. It was Christmas Day in Hawaii for two consecutive years. Uh, wow. And then, you know, I get, when I got into the pack, the first bowl assignment I had was a holiday bowl. And, San Diego. Yes. Yes, and then I got the Rose Bowl. But that's all I had in the pack. Okay. How long you was in the pack? Yeah, how long? Uh, eight years. Eight years. So, yeah. did you know, so you're doing all this, we always ask, okay, so you just you just wanted to just get in, make an extra couple, extra couple of dollars. Did you know that you were on a trajectory to be a Division One official and all that? I, I did, and i tell you what, a little something I did. I was fortunate enough to work the uh, flying game at the Rose Bowl when Elway was a senior and the guy flew in and uh, with the ball and he went on parachute and he ended up in the stands. I come home after that ball game and sat down and just wrote down a little thing in a, in a piece of paper uh, what my goal was in officiating. And the ultimate goal was the Super Bowl. Uh, it took me a, quite a bit longer to get to some of the places that I wanted to get to, but I eventually got there. You know, with wow. the help of others, I was able to make it. Got you. Nice. So you had the Rose Bowl in 92. Yes. And so that next that next offseason, you made it to the NFL, right? I got in the NFL that season. Now, did you have any idea that you was on the radar for the NFL at that time? I had applied for the radar, I mean, for the NFL uh and they were looking at me. Norm Schachter, was a, who did the first Super Bowl, was a, a scout. And he would be at the Coliseum. And after one game, myself, he, and I forget the TV commentator, but he, we were sitting down in the parking lot afterwards just talking. And he told me, he said, you know, I don't know what the problem is. I've recommended you. You were my number one recommendation for the last three years. And I don't know how, you know, why you haven't gotten in. And, you know, I, I'd almost given up hope because it had been like about four years and other people were getting in. And, you know, I wouldn't even get a phone call. And then uh, I get a call, you know. Uh, and it worked out. There was a, a, one of my wife's friends 
uh, who she grew up with. His name was Terry Rubisky. Terry was getting married, and they were by the house. And uh, I had mentioned, you know, he he saw some of my memorabilia from, you know, officiating. And he asked me, did you ever apply for the NFL? I said, man, I've applied for the NFL four or five times. So he wrote a letter to uh, Art McNally. Art McNally responded with a carbon copy to me. And in that letter, it said, you know, we have hired our staff for this year. I will keep Mr. Stewart in mind. In the following year, I got a phone call to go back and have an interview. Chad Brown and I went back there together to have this interview. Uh, here's what the following day from me. And I went in and they interviewed me. I had my interview and I came back. And, and I'll give you a little insight of what I did because, you know, I was wanted to make sure everything was perfect. I got there that day before. <laughs> I got out. It was in, oh, probably February. I went out and I walked from the hotel to the office that night before to see how long it would take me to get there so I would have plenty of time. And I, I did, definitely did not want to be late. I got there and there was only one person in the office when I got there. But anyway, I, when I got there and I had my interview, I literally came back and I wrote down about four questions that they'd asked me. And so I shared that with Chad. Chad and I were very good friends. And uh, all about two weeks later, Chad got picked up and another gentleman got picked up. And I didn't get hired. Then I was on my way to, I got invited, however, to work in, at that time, they called it the World League, which was the NFL Europe, and some teams in the, in the United States. When I was going to the airport, there were no cell phones then. So to get a plane to go to the clinic, my phone rang. And I picked up the phone, you know, I was in a rush, you know, I said, hey, who's this calling? And it said, uh, Mr. Stewart, this is Jerry Seaman here. I'm in Hawaii at the competition committee, and this got to be the happiest day of your life. I'm trying to figure out what in the hell is so happy about this day. <laughs> so he goes on to tell me that I am inviting you to the NFL. And he gave me the little thing. I'll get more in depth with you and send you all the stuff and write it later, but I just wanted you to know that you're getting in. There was wow. a couple of people at the clinic that were NFL people in the NFL. Uh, when I get to the airport, I tell Chad, and, you know, I, we must have spent $50 on the airplane buying Zickel, going to San Antonio. <laughs> when we get there, they didn't know, the NFL staff didn't know that I had gotten in. And when I shared that with them, they told me that whoever the gentleman was, the one fella had got caught somewhere in Texas uh, stealing something in the grocery store, and they fired him. That's how I got brought in. Oh, wow. wow. So hold up, Chuck. You didn't tell them you wanted a full schedule? <laughs> <laughs> they gave me a full schedule. <laughs> so wow. work, did you still work uh, the World Football League? Yes, I did that. Uh, but that was that was not in conjunction. That was prior to going into the NFL. Oh, okay. Okay. That was like spring ball, right? Uh, yeah. Yes, it was. So what, gotcha. did they have? Did they did they have the teams in Germany and Europe? No, it was and um U.S. No, at they that had time. both places because I went to Barcelona, I went to London, I went to Germany, and gotcha. uh, Montreal, and they had a team in Sacramento and about five or six teams in the United States. I mean, you know, Columbus and Tennessee and someplace else, yeah. uh, New York. I'm gonna kind of re go in reverse just because I know you and I have talked about it before. 
Sure. Did you work the Tokyo Bowl? Yes. It wasn't actually a bowl. They called it a Tokyo Bowl. And let me tell you how that happened. Uh, there was a gentleman who sent a letter to the newspaper and to the Pac-10 office saying that there were no black officiating in the Rose Bowl. So I got a phone call from the supervisor and asked me would I want to be the alternate on the Rose Bowl. I told him, sure. You know, I'd never been doing it at a, you know, at a Rose Bowl in my life. So I was out there. They had the camera on me on the sideline, probably more than they had it on the field because they were showing the black that was out there. All right. So as a reward for me the following year, because I was a, uh, a headliner, they sent me to Tokyo as a reward for doing that for them as a line judge, which kind of pissed off of the line judges, but I didn't make this assignment, you know, so I took it. Uh, SC played Oregon over there, and I went to Tokyo and did a ball game. Okay. So, because we like to talk about in the unofficial how officiating allows us to go places that we probably wouldn't have experienced outside of officiating if our life didn't take us in officiating. So you went to the Tokyo Bowl. Was that your first trip overseas, at just period, in your life? Or had you? I'd been to Hawaii, and, you know, that was as far as I'd ever been. And then okay. uh, I went over there, and I got fortunate enough to go there twice more in the NFL. Okay. Wow. And then so now, fast forward a few years, now you're in NFL Europe, well, in world football, but it takes you over to Europe. How was that experience, just going over to Europe? It was totally different. Uh, I had never been on an airplane for 10 or 12 hours in my life. You know, and uh, I did that. It was interesting going through the Heathrow Airport uh, because, you know, you see those old movies where the signs are flipping. You know, it wasn't electronic. That's how they did everything. Uh, it was the largest airport I've ever been in my life because we had a four-hour layover going to Barcelona. I sat there. Oh, we took the entire summer study guide while we were waiting on connecting flights. But my first wow. trip to London over there, though, it was different as well. Uh, and I caught a, a taxi cab, and, you know, it was it was totally different. He wasn't quite ready to see a, a black person in his taxi cab, and uh, it was a little different. But it was interesting. It worked out great. I had okay. a, another experience. I shared this with you as well. Uh, we had a game in Barcelona. Uh, Hockley was the uh, referee. It's definitely he was learning to be a referee. And this he, is Ed Hockley, correct? Ed, yes. And the answer was our umpire. So we were in, standing outside the locker room waiting to get the film from the um, TV crew. While we're waiting, there was a, there was, that's the stadium they were having the Olympics in that year. So there's a sign up there that had, you know, with the Olympics on there. So Henry says, that would look great in my buddy's bar in Canada. He pulls the thing down. Behind there, there were two cops sitting there playing cards. Oh, they come no. out with their guns drawn, you know, on us. And Hockley's had a few words he knew in Spanish. And, you know, he was talking. And luckily, the guy comes down at that time with the film and got us out of trouble. And where I'm going with this, oh, maybe 15 years ago, I was in Catalina. And I go to the bar, and I see this sign hanging up there. And I asked the guy, I says, 
the gentleman named Henry answered him. He said, oh, yeah, he's my good friend. And I shared that story with him. He said, I didn't know anything like that. But uh, it was, you know, I, I'm over there in Spain. I didn't know a damn thing about no Spanish to like at that time. And, hey, we got out of it, but it was lucky. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so Chuck Stewart is Lonzo Ball. You ain't a big baller, Chuck. <laughs> I ain't never lost. I ain't never lost. What do you attribute all the success to uh um these the uh, the work you're doing and, and how do you how do you think that you got to be so so technically precise and and, and good? I'll tell you a lot of it was hard work and studying. But I had one, you know, the gentleman I had in the P2A was instrumental, but the most instrumental person to me in my officiating career was Red Cash. I was lucky enough to be on that man's crew for four years, and he showed me how to study, how to go about officiating, what to do on the field, off the field, how to look at film, how to interact with the ball player, everything. And, I, you know, I didn't know how. All I had to do was go out there and officiate, Somebody said something to me. I'd look around and see if there was a, a fuzzy mic around. I might cuss them back out. He <laughs> told me how to do that. And I, in turn, come home, put it to work. Because, you know, there was the year after I got in the NFL, two brothers got fired. So, you know, uh, I didn't want that to happen, happen to me. So I studied and worked hard. And uh, that, that's how it happened. You know, and from that, you know, I knew some people. Uh, I got able, was able to start helping other officials. Uh, I started mentoring other people. You know, Patrick Turner was one. Uh, I've done a few females. I'm, I'm working with Craven at the present time, trying to help him. And, Sorry, uh, Chuck. Excuse me? Sorry, you helping Craven. That dude, difficult. <laughs> uh, hey, that's my man. <laughs> <laughs> so while you're helping these people, uh, is, I heard that you started this camp called uh, Personal Touch. With Chad yeah. Brown. Yeah. Uh, you got that key story, Chuck. Well, how, how did the keys go about? That was at the first NFL clinic Chad and I were in. In those days, you would sit in the, at the table with your crew. We still do it. But Chad and I were on the West Coast crew, and we were at the East Coast clinic. So we sit in the back of the room, and there's this knock on the door. And no one moves. There's just still another knock on the door. It gets a little louder. So... I look, get up to go, and this other man, the supervisor, said, hey, no, leave him alone. If he don't have his keys, he can't get in. And so then they finally, they got, finally got in, and they come in, they told us that, you know, without your keys, you can't go in your house, you can't start your car, you can't go in the door at work, you can't do anything without your keys. Chad and I didn't know what keys were, to be perfectly honest with you. All I knew on the football field was what I would look at this area and I would go to this area and follow the ball. That was my first night of keys. So on the plane ride back, Chad and I talk about it. And we say, hey, man, we need to help on the West Coast. And, you know, so they'll know these keys and they won't be lost like we were. And they'll have, a, you know, an advance of moving up. So that's how we come about. And we come up with this camp. And the gentleman that I was talking about that was knocking on the door in the back of the room there was Leo Miles. And Leo was our guest speaker at our first camp. Uh, but that's how we got started with it. Cause we were just trying to teach it. And you know, and like it started out with 33 campers. We had as many as hundred and campers. We averaged about 80 out of, after every year. After, we did it for 10 years. Yeah, Scott Typher talking about going to your camp. 
That was one of the first ones he went to. There's several so. people. You know, um, Brian sent me an email. Every year he'll send me something that says whoever's working a bowl game or working a playoff game in the NFL or something, he would say that was a uh, personal touch camp. He went to the camp. You know, I can't remember all the people there, man. Yeah. You, you're talking about Brian Matthews, right, Chuck? Yes, I am. So, Chuck, your, your whole time on the field in the NFL, you were a line judge, correct? That's correct, yeah. I work one okay. game as an umpire. One game's <laughs> How did that go? How did that <laughs> go, Chuck? <laughs> I have to tell you about that. Okay, we were, we were in New Orleans, and this same guy, Henry Atkins, was on the crew with me, and he'd given his tickets to someone, and he was looking up in the stands trying to see if his buddy was in the stands. Well, Atlanta was warming up, and they threw a swing pass out, and the guy caught it and it turned and hit Andy right in the chest and knocked him out. Oh, wow. I, was, I actually saw his eyes rolling his head when he hit the ground. So I'm the rookie. So naturally, I'm the one that goes in the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> get in and get to work. <laughs> How far deep was he? Was it back there as the back judge? I'll actually, I'm getting to that part. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> okay. I, I was working 12 yards back. <laughs> After the first two plays, they were running up there when they first started to pass. You know, they would throw the swing right over the middle, right across the middle. I said, uh-huh. this is easy. I just stepped up to the line of scrimmage, and they would throw the ball right behind over my shoulder. Well, I stepped up there one time, and I had Haywood was doing a draw. Oh, no. <laughs> and I ended up standing right next to Red Cashman referee. He said, what the hell are you doing over here? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I played almost 15 to 20 yards after that. A deep. I was scared to death. I survived it, and then, you know, they would be a smart. They gave me a correct judgment on the play, you know, which I was just getting out of the way. But uh, that was, yeah, that was an interesting game. What year was that? I want to look that up. That's that got to be on nah, YouTube. I'm not letting you look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first year. But but we we have some insight because he said Craig, hey, hey, yeah, with, with, the, the, with, with the Saints, yeah. No, no, I, I, I he was with my Atlanta. He was with Atlanta. Oh. oh, okay. Jeff George was a quarterback. Ooh, yeah, I know the year then. Got you. Oh, oh, so it was ninety-two. That, I'm sure it was ninety-two. He said his rookie year. Okay, but that was a big game, though. You know, the the Saints and the Falcons. I, even though they was not that great of a teams back then, but that's that's a big time rivalry. Well, you know, in, in those days, well, Red Castle was one of, he, you know, he and uh, Mark Brad were the top referees. And they okay. were he alone, you know, hey, I was just on the crew, man. Wow. Nice. So, but, Chuck, you know, I know. Go ahead. So, I know at the uh, line judge position, you worked some playoff games. Uh, did you work a championship game at line judge position? No, I know you work many of playoff games. Most of all of my teams I did in Nigeria was the divisionals and in the uh, first round. First round, okay. Yeah, okay. Hey, hey, Cravon, I got a story Chuck told before of um, you was at Missouri, right, oh, Chuck? Back, we going back was, to college, Chuck. Oh, we PC going, we going, we going backwards. Yeah, yeah, we, we going to go back to the PC two A. It, it, was you at Missouri? Where was you at? And you said um, you saw this parade that you thought was a parade. It was in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Jack Gatto and I were going to the game in a car. We were going down the street. And all of a sudden, 
I didn't notice it. Jack pushes my head down and says, Duck, duck, get down, get down, get down. I said, What the hell is wrong with you? I looked up. They had a KKK march at this female college in front of Air, on the way to Columbia, in with Columbia, Missouri. That was the first and the only time I have ever seen live somebody in a mask, KKK. And, you know, we went around and got back. We didn't have no, you know, we had to drive around about 10, 15 extra minutes because we had no GPS in them days to try to find out to get back to the school. But uh, that was a interesting experience, man. It really was. Wow. Being, from, so, being on the West Coast, that was your first time seeing um, Hooded Justice? I had never seen it in my life. I've seen it on television, you know, and uh, but I had never, in, you know, been anything like that in my life, uh, in real life around it. Got you. The holy, you know what, out of me. So was your pants, so, did, did, you, did you change when you got to the locker room? Man, I probably had the plans to see that car, everything. I, I don't know, honestly. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, was a, it was a frightening experience, you know, because all I had ever seen on television, you know, were lighting fires in front of people's house, hanging people, and, you know, and that, that flashed right back to my mind right away. You know, in, in, in Southern California, you had, you know, the discrimination, but you knew where to go and where not to go. You know, we didn't, in, we didn't even want to go where we couldn't go. We didn't know anything about it. You know, and, uh, but the only thing I'd ever experienced was on television. Got you. It was wow. Yeah. Wow. So now, Chuck, before we talk about your experience in the replay booth, um, your time on the field, especially now that you've been a away from being on the field for so long, we haven't had an opportunity to ask anybody this, but I think it's a great question for all the fans. Who was the best player you've seen in a football game, either college or pros, while you were on the field? Deion Sanders, without a doubt. Wow. Prime time. Prime time. No. I had Marcus Allen. I had uh, all the quarterbacks, you know, Jerry Rice. But Deion Sanders had the ability to take away the number one receiver and the rest of the team to play zone. That's what he did when he was in with the 49ers. Uh, he took away Michael Irvin when he left the 49ers and went to the Cowboys. He took away Jerry Wright. I actually saw Dion, and this is no lie. There was a pass play. I turned to look to see where the ball was going. It was about a 20-yard pass. Dion was totally out of the picture. He was at least 15 yards away. He actually got back there and knocked the ball down and talked, you know, big crash afterwards. But uh, he was by far the best ball player I've ever had and been involved with. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be a sound bite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Chuck, before you went into the replay booth, did you experience replay while you was on the field? Because while you were on the field, it came in and went away, right? Yes. It came in. Well, actually, it wasn't. Even, they didn't have replay when I got on the field at first. Then they brought it in, and they went away, and they brought it back. Uh, okay. However, replay when I was working on the field and they had replay, it didn't make any difference. It, it changed me one aspect of my officiating, and that was, and it taught me don't blow the whistle unless this ball is right in front of you. Because, you know, if something happened in the middle of the field and you blow it dead, you think it's down, the ball pops out of the, the defender carrying the ball. So 
I learned quickly that replay would correct that if we didn't get it, if we did get it. So I kept my whistle. And from that point, I really stopped blowing my whistle, to be quite honest with you. I didn't blow a whistle at all. They would get on my butt about blowing it, but I didn't care. I wasn't going to have any You did 18 years on the field, and then you transitioned to replay. What was the biggest thing that you had to transition from being an on-field official to a replay official? To be honest with you, that was a major change because my first oh, six or eight ball games, I was still doing like I did on the field. You know, on the field, you got two seconds to make up your mind. And, and replay, I would do the same thing. I would look at, oh, yeah, that's the end of that. And they would bring other shots in. Sure to do. So I had to learn to be patient and wait till you get every shot. And then you make the decision. But on the field, you know, all my life, growing up high school, pop one high school and everything, it was make the decision right then and that was it. But in the booth, I did that a couple of times and got in trouble about it because I still officiated in the booth instead of just being in the booth watching television. And I learned to do that. And, you know, it was much simpler at that time. So is that something that they keep, they, they say is process, 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 go through the process and it'll get you to the right answer? That's very true. But again, on the field, you make up your mind. You have a split second, you make up your mind. In the red clear booth, you just sit and wait and wait till they give you all the shots they have, and then you make the decision from it. Look, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back, 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 back. Then Craven. So when you came up, it wasn't about going to camps. It was about you apl- writing letters, right? Yeah. To move didn't up. Didn't have camp. Didn't have no camp. Okay. Because PT told us a story about a letter he wrote that he you you he wrote a, a, about a letter that he wrote that you wrote to get to the Pac-12 that he tried to write to JUCO. It didn't work for him. Yeah, I gave you credit. just you just took change the names. <laughs> <laughs> but but Chuck, do you remember who he sent that letter to? I think he sent one to Dr. Jarman. Yep. <laughs> Jarman was a good friend of mine. So, um, Jarman and I, I actually, you know, Jarman and we used to work out every day at uh, Southwest College, and. After he told me about it, then, you know, I, I'd had a conversation with Drummond, you know, and then he gave P.T. a few ball games. But, no, he, you know, he didn't know who P.T. was. Right. Got you. Right. Yeah. And, again, so, like Ch- said, in those days, you had to know somebody. It was all it was all word of mouth, right? I mean, just exactly. playing, you know, that, that good old boys club, and, you know, just communicating, networking, which was different because now we can do that with the camps. Before, you just had to do it locally in your area, right? Well, the camps have changed everything so far right now with getting into college that it, it's, it's not even funny. Uh, right. You know, I go to all the camps. However, the camps are utilized for money-making, and they would invite Ooh. supervisors to the camp. And, at, you know, if you get lucky enough to see somebody get to see you and pick you up, that's fine. But you basically have to – you've got to go to a camp to even get looked at nowadays. You can't just go work a scrimmage to go to SC and get invited to work a scrimmage and see if somebody up there picks you up. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, you've got to go to the camp. But that's what you were looking for when you was coming up, get that invite to the spring game, USC, UCLA. And that was like your audition, right, when you were coming up? That's exactly what it was. That's how you got in and then I made it or not. Wow. Hey Chuck, yeah. you um you 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 about to hurt some um listeners, right? With that with that answer you gave. <laughs> I, I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say let's move on. 
<laughs> you know what, but but we gonna talk we we gonna talk about the we gonna call, talk about the camps more in detail later on. But we really want to talk about just your experience, just officiating. Right. I I got another one, Craven. So, so Chuck, you got this. You you got you got one of the smoothest walks, Chuck. Like I I don't know if you go. I don't even know if you put your foot on the ground. But how did you develop your own officiating style, Chuck? You know that's odd. I have a friend who would tell me that they would see me on a ball game when they would see my feet and see how I ran and things of that nature. Uh, I have nowhere. You know, I tell you, when I was growing up in that area, you guys probably know, but we used to call it, you know, the little pimp walk. And he was- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you got a, uh, is it, it walk, they, they put the fish in the shoes? <laughs> Chuck, walk, Chuck walk ain't with no limp. It, it, it's, it's, it's like, it, it, when you see it, but it's, but it's, you know who try you know who trying to get that walk as well as Monty. You know Monty got that walk too. Is this you just know uh, it's him on the field? He, no matter what, once you see him take about three steps, like oh yeah, that's Monty. Well, that's Monty. I, I say I, I get it. I see it from DJ. I see it from Chuck. You got to relax. You ain't that good though. You, you, you ain't can't. that good though, Monty. You you threw out some big names right there, <laughs> man. I'm trying to emulate the best. You better, Monty. Man, you gotta give her that cool walk. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm old to change that now, bro. I wouldn't even know how to. Hey, Chuck, are are there any things from the football field and and officiating and playing football that has trans transition help you transition in, in your regular life, your regular job, something, something that you took the field that helped you in life? Well, not so much into the regular job I did. Uh, I was. You know, my regular job is, you know, it was totally different. It was in the welfare department, and it's a totally different situation than what I did in the football field. But on the football field, football has opened up uh, a lot of avenues for me. Uh, it is, was very good for me financially. Uh, it has afforded me the lifestyle I have at the present time. And quite frankly, it has me on this podcast with you guys right now. Uh, without football, my life would be totally different. You know, I don't know and don't want to even think about where it would be. Uh, but there were some lessons that I learned. Discipline, uh, attention, attentiveness to things and paying attention to detail. That comes from football. Uh, there's a thing that I tell everybody that I, work, that I work with, you know, don't make the same mistake twice. You know, I, I learned that a hard way growing up in life. But if you think about it, you know, there's enough for you to go around uh, to make the, the you don't make the same one twice. You know, make it once and don't make the same mistake twice. But you know, officiating has you know provided me with a, a tremendous lifestyle. I have been to places I would never even think about. Uh, Craig, I mentioned that earlier. You know, in the United States, there's probably I when I used to get on a plane, I would sit down and mark down. There's probably about four states that I haven't been to that football didn't take me to. You know, uh, I would never go to. Pullman, Washington, Boise, Idaho, you know, any place. I would never go to any place like that for a vacation, you know. Uh, but the opportunity to go there was tremendous for me. Uh, one time I was doing, we did a game, Tony, Corinne, and I, and um, we were in El Paso. And at this truck stop, and Tony said to me, Chuck, did you think we would ever be here getting paid? to come in and do this. And I said, not in my wildest imagination. You know, I was able to fly everywhere and get paid to do it. 
And uh, I, my first few years in college, you know, I got on the plane and walked all the way to the back of the plane. Uh, now I sit in the front. Yeah, you sit in the front now, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the back of your head a couple times. <laughs> Chuck, you said, you know, listening to our conversation that we had with you already, you said you had wrote down some goals of what you wanted to do, you know, many years ago. Yeah. And one of those was the Super Bowl. Yeah. You finally got to experience the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, as a replay official. Can you right. tell us about that experience of working the Super Bowl? It was a totally different. The game is set the exact same. But the atmosphere and the surroundings was something I'd never seen before. Security was so great. So you had to have a pass, and they took what your pitch you put it in front of, you know, to get into the stadium, one for to go into the locker room, one to get on the field, and one to get in the press box. Security was so great. And I have, you know, the most cameras I'd ever been around was 30 cameras for a Monday night ball game, and, you know, playoff game. They had 101 cameras for that ball game. Wow. 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 Uh, Did you say 101 cameras? 101, bro. 101. That was the first game that they used pylon cameras. Oh, wow. Oh, for the Super Bowl or just period? And the only camera that they did not show me plays on, they had one camera that went all completely around the stadium, and that took 38 seconds. So, therefore, they didn't use show me the plays on that one. But I had – uh, they would dump so many plays, and we only had one one challenge. And you know, but they dumped so many plays in the game. Right. It it, it wind up being a very uneventful uneventful game. You right, know, bro. Hold up, bro. Whoa, whoa. We uh, had I, Super Cam in that game. Please don't. I, I know don't you're a Cam Newton fan, but don't Cam Newton, Super Cam. Cam Newton. Cam Newton was not super that day. He was no. Nah, they he was they uh, didn't, he was, was kind of sleeping. Chuck, as you can describe, Peyton Manning could only throw the ball six yards, right? Uh, to be quite honest with you, Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball more than 10 or 15 yards. But, you know, he didn't have to. Their defense was so good. So they, you know, they didn't Miller. want him to turn the ball. Exactly. Uh, now, your boy Cam, I was, I was a little disappointed. And I looked at that play about 10 times. Uh, they were throwing the ball game. He fumbled. And he looked like he was going to kind of recover the phone. He said, oh, I ain't getting in that crap there. He kind of backed off. And, you know, but that was, uh, it was a good ball game. You know, it wasn't eventful. But, uh, you know, hey, they played well. You know, but the atmosphere around it was totally different than anything that I have ever been involved with. You know, it was. First time in Frisco, right? That was in San Jose. That was in, no, it's Santa Clara. Santa, Santa Clara, Clara Stadium, that's right. right? Santa Clara. <clears throat> yeah. Can you tell us about uh, back in the day, the starter pistols? Whoa, oh, we yeah. forgot about the pistol. What what it, what was that all about? Okay, they at the end of each quarter, you had the, they would give the line judge the starter pistol, and you would shoot it, and that would indicate the quarter was over with. So, with ten seconds to go in the each quarter, just the person behind me would hand me the gun. And then as soon as the clock would go down to zero, I would fire the gun. Uh, we had a coach that was used a lot of four-letter words, profanity. And so he had gotten on my behind and 
in the first, just about the second quarter. And as fate would have it, I was 10 yards of closer to him when the, quarter, when the half was over with. I made it a point to get next to him and shot the gun right in his ear. That's your limitations, right? Yeah. The statue of limitations over with, right, Chuck? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that just seems like a bad idea having a starter pistol on the field. Well, you you know, I didn't have any possession of it until the last 10 seconds of each quarter. Uh, The guy that was holding the down box or whatever it was, uh, not, you know, all the down box, he would have it. And then I would have to give it to him, what you know, while I'm running off the field at halftime in the ball game. So I couldn't carry it in my bag, you know, nothing like that. So I would give him a gun, the pistol back at that time. But yeah, it, 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 for about my first three or four years, we had that pistol, man. Right. Yeah. This isn't the '60s. This is the '90s. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, what 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 made them go away from that? I it's called a whistle. Well, common sense, but <laughs> it's called a whistle. <laughs> well, it, they, they, I think they started using more of something. A few said they had a siren, you know, uh, when it would be the end of the quarter, the halftime. But you know, it, they just stopped doing it. You know, we would notify the teams when it was over after that point in time. But yeah, maybe when I shot it in Chuck Knox's ear, they might that might have stopped it. I don't know. Do you remember the first time that you and I met? Not really. <laughs> so I can go back to him and tell me. Right. So gotta refresh. I actually was a part of you and Chad's last personal touch camp. You guys kind of it had went away for a little bit and it came back. You guys had did a oh, passing right. league Bosco. camp at, yeah, at St. John Bosco. Yeah. I'm out there now. Mind you, this is my probably maybe second, third camp overall. I think it was just my second. I think two weeks prior I had went to Fresno, and then I'm down here at St. John Bosco. I'm on the field working, and all of a sudden I hear is, what the F, Barrett? And I'm like, did somebody just say Barrett? Like, Barrett, what the F are you doing? I'm like, man, somebody is screaming my last name. Like, who is this? talking and I just keep hearing Barrett 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 and finally I realized that it was coming from you I didn't know who you were at the time <laughs> and I'm saying that my head is who in the hell is this guy I, we had never met and you had mf me <laughs> so much leading up to it what are you looking at and I go I don't know What's your keys? I don't know. <laughs> Why are you out here? And I just paused. That was our first interaction. The first time I heard Chuck's voice was him cussing me out, everybody. That's typical. And it ain't changed since. That ain't changed. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'm a little bit more selective with the words. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, you know, that's my nature. You know, that's. If whatever comes up comes out with me, you know that's the way I am. It always have been like that. Uh, and, and, always get the truth too. And it's and always the I, truth. That's always the truth, and that's one thing I tell anybody that I appreciate from you is that no matter what, you have always told me the truth. It you never should have sugarcoated it. You never found a way to say it. 
the you know politically correct way. It's just this is what it is. This is what you have to do better. And I think that's what makes you one of the best mentors that's out there because a lot of people that become mentors start to you know try to sugarcoat things and build up egos. But you understand if if I if somebody can't take it from you, how are we gonna take it from a coach? I right? How, how are we gonna take it? How are we gonna take us from a from a supervisor that's really getting <clears throat> on us that doesn't really care about you know how we're improving to where you're just being open and honest and trying to get us to be better officials. Kravon, exactly what you're saying. And I'll bring us back in the first clinic in the pack. We were reviewing film and I kind of got on one of the officials. Uh, during the spring scrimmage at UCLA, Mr. Coleman comes up to me and he explains to me, he says, you know, we had a complaint and a grievance filed against you. I said, what the hell for? He said, you were going over some things and kind of got on one of the officials in the uh, clinic. And he said, my exact words to them was, well, if they can't take a supervisor getting on this young man, how will he ever take the coaches on the field getting on it? I really didn't think about what I was saying and what I was doing to him. I really didn't. Uh, all I was doing was trying to get my point across. He made some mistakes. And quite frankly, he has turned out to be a pretty good official. Uh, he's listened, and he's done a good job. But, but as far as the way that I approach and tell to say things, I only know one way, you know, and that's to tell you exactly what's coming. Whatever comes to mind will come out of my mouth. I'll be honest with you on that. And it probably got me in trouble more often than not. But, you know, that's just the way I am. And, you know, you're always going to know where you stand or what you did or how you did it when I, listen, when you, I talk to you. Perfect. Right. And that's, what, and that's what anybody, fellas. That's what anybody. All right. So, Chuck, um, we're going to uh, take you into a little portion of the show. It's called uh, Under Review. Okay. Uh, what it'll do, ask you a couple questions. And just off the top of your head, without the F word, <laughs> go ahead and uh, give us an answer. Yeah. Okay. So, Chuck, here we go. So, Chuck, what career accomplishment has made you the most proud? You know, that is a, a difficult question, but the honest reality of it is seeing some of the people that I have been mentoring and moving up through the ranks and getting into the college and the NFL. That has been mean more to me than anything if I ever did on the football field. So I'm going to have to switch this uh, question up a little bit. You're going to have to uh, go back in time a little bit to when you were on the field. All right, Chuck. What? Hey, Monty, he ain't that old. I mean, well, come on now. But he's been I in mean, the replay booth. On. He's been in the replay booth. So this one's a, a field question. Okay. What do you think of when you heard the R say the previous play is under review? If it was a play that I did, oh, well, I won't quite say that word. Oh, <laughs> okay. But you know, now, after, you know, being around for a little bit of time, it, it doesn't bother me. Right? It didn't bother me at all when I was in you know, my latter years on the field. Uh, let me tell you this about under the review. Honestly, once the ball was kicked off, I was never nervous. I just went into what I was doing. 
in the replay booth, I did get nervous. You know, it was a different element, and I was a reference, an official in the replay booth, and I didn't become a replay official. So that 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 was a little frightening for me for a little bit at first. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chuck. That has been uh, this has been a very very entertaining uh, talk that we've had. So, so Chuck, we 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 still recording, but you know, we want to officially make you what we're going to call one of the friends of the unofficial lounge, friend of the show, friend of the show, reoccurring uh, guest. Yes, we we hope to have you back because in the future we actually want to go a little bit more in detail mm-hmm. of camps, uh, especially that you were one. You know, you and Chad with your camp of personal touch was. Not the start of the camps, but really, I think, was the usher to what camps maybe have become, even though that's maybe not what you was looking for to become. Um, but it really ushered in people coming from all over the country uh, to go to camps to get more information. And we would just want to get more detail about the camps and some other things. So we really want to invite you to become one of the first friend of the and, show. And only. <laughs> hey, I'm, I would be more than happy, you know, and, and anything I can do to assist, uh, help you out with anything, feel free. I'm here all the time, as you well know. 28-year NFL official, Chuck I had a Stewart. great career. I was very fortunate. Uncle Chuck. Man. The godfather. The godfather. <laughs> so Chuck before before we uh log off and, and stop recording uh is it okay for us to say that you have officially retired from the NFL is that okay for us to put it out I, I don't have a problem with that uh <clears throat> with COVID-19 and I'm 76 years of age now uh I felt that not wasn't safe for me to be flying and going through airports and seeing all these people uh, with this, with the virus around, and I had a great career, and I'm, you know, I just made up my mind, and I haven't had any regrets whatsoever after doing it. Now I haven't had a ball game as on television yet, yet, but uh, no, the only thing that I would, Monte, you have one up on me. You have been in SoFi Stadium, and I haven't been there. That's the only place I have. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Don't even say that. Don't even tell him that, Chuck. He feel good about himself. Hey, you I sure you do. Sure. Don't don't feel don't feel bad, Chuck. We gonna make Patrick get us some tickets at some point. <laughs> well, we can't even get in the game, man. We can't go. That's true. That's true. That's true. We we may have to make we we may have to wait till twenty twenty two. The way things is going right now. You know, I had a thought the other day. Tony Carini had the first game there. And I said, well, hell, I made Zach Tony for a few tickets. And I said, hell, we can't even get in the stadium, man, you know? Right, uh, right. Not, I, not that I would have gone. I would have given it to my grandkids. I wouldn't have gone. You know, and if I was going to go look at it, I could have worked it. But, no, uh, again, Monte, my hat's off to you, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Stop, I appreciate Chuck. it. Don't, 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 Chuck. I, I, I'm going to have to hate. Oh, Chuck Stewart. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> we appreciate it, Chuck. We're we're thankful. Don't log log out yet, Chuck. We're going to just talk, but we're going to end the recording. But, Chuck, thank you for being a part of the Unofficial Lounge, and we look forward to talking to you in the future. And uh, thanks again for all of what you do for 
everybody in Southern California. You are a true mentor, uh, a true godfather to many of us, and uh, we look forward to the years to come, and thank you again. My pleasure. My pleasure. Next time, we'll sit down with former Vice President of NFL Officials, Dean Blandino. I do want to see college limit limit the number of stoppages to some degree. I think there's a tremendous burden on replay officials in college. Like you said, every play. And they're not, you know, they're not responsible for just one aspect of it, their, that play. There's multiple aspects. And it, it has become a, a, a such a, a stressful environment for a lot of replay officials. So I would like to see more of an NFL model where maybe it's, you know, the scoring plays, the turnovers, the two-minute window is an automatic review. And now the coaches have to challenge everything else. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember to please like and subscribe as the unofficial lounge is available on all your podcast streaming outlets including apple google spotify and anchor we look forward to you joining us next time in the unofficial lounge